Eyes On from this year's IGCF, the International Government Communication Forum at Expo Center Sharjah. There are many incredible and special people here at the International Government Communication Forum and during one of these sessions, I believe it's one of my favorite ones so far, there were so many interesting people talking about zero becoming an achievement and they're referring to basically zero net commissions and one of the people speaking on the panel is Tom Karnak who did a lot especially in terms of sustainability when it comes to climate change on the global level and how do you communicate with the government when it comes to sustainability because we all know that sometimes some governments some individuals within governments have some personal agendas or they prefer this over that and they claim that it's difficult how do you approach them how do you speak to them how do you convince them that it is something that they need to do and can easily do as well. Sure, so great to be here. And just a few parts to my answer to that question. Um, the first is what you said at the end of easily. Um, I don't think that anything about this is going to be easy. I think that this transformation, this transition is the challenge of our lives. And the stakes are incredibly high. And I wouldn't shy away from that, first of all. It, I think in the past we've made a mistake on climate change of thinking, oh, there's just this little switch down here and if I flick it, everything will be fine. And people kind of know in their bones that that's not real, right? So you have to be honest with people. The truth is that this is the most decisive decade in human history. And whether we have tropical glaciers or coral reefs or familiar ecosystems in, in places like the Emirates in 50 years or 500 years or 500,000 years is dependent on what we do in the next five to 10 years. Now that's a lot for us to internalize, but we have to do it because no one else is coming along to do this for us. Either we figure it out or the entire world goes in a direction that is very challenging to see significant amounts of life on Earth and we destroy a legacy of three and a half billion years of evolution, unique in the universe as far as we know. So that's the starting point. But I would say that if you look back at moments in history which have been dark, that have led to genuine transformations where we find the courage and determination to do something different. It's where we haven't hidden from the challenge. Think about, I mean, in my own country, Winston Churchill saying, we'll fight them on the beaches, or Martin Luther King saying, I have a dream, or Rosa Parks not getting up from the bus, or Mahatma Gandhi's salt marches to the beach. These were moments of a gritty and stubborn but determined optimism to say, you know what, this is difficult, but I'm gonna stand up and be counted and be a leader at this moment and make the changes necessary and it's worth it. It's worth it for us, it's worth it for our kids. And this is the key difference compared to where we were a few years ago when I was negotiating the Paris Agreement. In those days, we said, do this for your kids and do it for your grandchildren and future generations. Now, the economics have also shifted fundamentally to the point where now wind and solar are the cheapest forms of new power in 165 out of 185 countries. Right now in the UK, wind is nine times cheaper than gas. So when you get to this point, yes, of course, challenges are hard. You know, we're not children. We didn't think this was going to be easy. But are we going to rise to that challenge or not? Because it delivers the future. It secures the planet. It secures livelihoods for ourselves and our kids and it has enormous economic benefits today if we can just find the moral courage and the leadership to do what's in front of us. Now it's interesting you said the moral courage. Now we know that inherently that this is something that we need but how can we find the moral courage to take on something as difficult as climate change even with the doom and gloom? So I mean the reason I say moral courage is because you get to a position where everything is pointing in the same direction but change isn't happening. 
right? And that's an interesting discussion about why that's the case. But often it's to do with inertia in the system. Everybody is familiar with things being a particular way. You know, we've always done it this way. There's a conservatism that creeps into how we do business and how we do government. And actually, some of us need to step up and say, the future is going to be different from the past, and we're going to take a step to do that. And that comes with, re with rewards. It comes with rewards in the future, and it comes with rewards now. But we're not going to do this without a bit of bravery. And we're kind of scared, and nobody kind of knows if it's the right thing to do. But we need to actually embrace some of the spirit of previous generations, where we say, we are going to take the risks, and we are going to be brave to make this transformation. And then it opens up in front of us, and we create the world we've wanted to create, and that we're on the cusp of, but we can't quite bring into being. I love that simultaneously the vibes I'm getting from you are, I'm not going to say pessimistic, but very realistic, but also optimistic. And I love that very much because a lot of people, even though lots of the speakers today did say that it's all about positivity and being optimistic, that is, that's what moves people in comparison to just scaring them into a corner and saying, we're all going to die in 50 years if you don't do anything. Now, governments, I understand that obviously there are many things to work with and obviously they're working on it. But what about reaching the public. I've heard many times that this legislature, for example, that is integrated through the law and whatnot, all these regulations that appear foreign and new to us eventually become very normal and that contributes towards it just becoming a way of life. So what are the various ways and approaches that a government can take or even institutions can take where regular people can integrate sustainability into their lives? So I think, and, and this picks up your comment at the beginning, and thank you for that. I think the, one of the keys is we have to be honest about this. It's not going that well on one level. And actually, unless we change direction, we're not heading to a very happy place for any of us. And I think we all sort of know that. And when someone says, oh, it's going to be super easy, then that rings hollow. And that kind of optimism is a sort of Cassandra-like, it'll all be fine, a sort of mindless optimism that is actually a bit irresponsible. And I think that holds true for communications as well, right? It has to be simple and true. And that cuts to the core of people. It has to be simple in the sense that climate change has become embroiled in a lot of technical language a lot of acronyms. There was some recent research that came out in the UK that said 70% of the public don't feel like the climate change movement is welcoming to people like them. That is a massive failing of the climate movement that's allowed itself to become myopic and internally focused. Actually, th this is about the future of life on Earth. It should be welcoming to everybody. Everyone should feel they have a stake in this. And if the governments take a lead in saying to their citizens, you know what? This is challenging, but we're going to do it. And we're going to be the ones that find that grit and determination and make that change. Something wakes up in people, actually. And I think history has proved this, that you then get to a point where people say, you know what, I do want that future. And actually, sacrifice might happen, but it also comes with reward. And, you know, we're not such creatures as we just need more and more pleasure at every moment and more and more consumerism. Otherwise, we become unhappy. Actually, all the evidence is that all of that consumption is making us quite miserable. Many people actually feel a lot happier when you have a purpose, an objective, a great generational endeavor. And actually, it won't come with sacrifice in the end because the 
economics are in the right direction. So I think that mixture of things as a flavor of communications hasn't yet really been tried, and I think it would be transformative. It absolutely would be if you think about it. That is actually true, especially with the world of social media platforms. People are becoming more welcoming. They're talking with each other. They're communicating with each other. They're teaching each other with the various ways to technology, the internet as a whole. But then, for example, uh, Professor Munasenge was saying that it was kind of difficult to reach the young minds. And then on the other hand, I got some other speakers who spoke to me and said, actually, all the kids that they spoke to today were quite excited and very receptive to the idea. From your experience, do you find it harder to reach, let's say, millennials, younger millennials, or even like Gen Z when it comes to this topic? Or is it actually easy? So again, nothing easy about this. Yeah. Um, so again, some research I saw recently suggested that in OECD countries, between kids between the ages of 16 and 23, over 50% spend multiple hours worrying about climate change on a daily basis. Right? That is a massive experiment in anxiety that we are inflicting on our children. So given that climate change is already right there in people's minds, they know what's going on. They've been looking around, they see the movements that have happened and they understand the potential future. But if you try to tell them that it's easy or you try to give them false solutions or a hollow optimism, there will be an immediate reaction against that, understandably, because they'll say, you know what, you lied before and you're lying now and I don't believe you. And they're right to have that feeling. But if you say, I hear you and I I share your, your perspective and let's do this together and my contacts and my relationships and all of my experience are at your service to find common ground in which we can work together and do this big difficult thing together then actually you find they're full of optimism and determination and drive they just don't want to be lied to and you know that's fair enough so the idea is in the, at the end of the day it's all about getting together and being approachable and basically telling the person that young or older that you matter and you are an important part of this and also Obviously, not lie about it, but a lot of us, like millennials, for example, became aware, usually push for the idea that there be more restrictions on corporations. And also that is the reason why a lot of, in my opinion, as a part of the youth, that the reason why there is anxiety is because we feel they are the culprits, or at least the biggest culprits when it comes to sustainability and whatnot. They're the reason why there are lots of carbon emissions in comparison to a regular person just driving from a to B versus, for example, airplanes or fracking, etc., and all these other endeavors. How can we manage that? Again, I understand that we already spoke about the fact that economic growth and sustainability are very achievable together, hand in hand. But how do you translate that to a corporation and tell them that you can be sustainable and it is doable? So again, you said very achievable. Nothing easy about this, right? Doable. Doable, yeah. doable, doable. is better. Yeah, yeah, very achievable. It's not easy. So it's, a, it's an obvious but important point that nobody is trying to warm the climate, right? It's an outcome of how we all live. And we all live in an interconnected society that is having various impacts. And the reason that's an important point is because one of the things I see is that as the climate is now warming and the impacts are becoming more manifest, people are getting this kind of breathless panic about them. And as a result of that, what's happening is everyone is concluding that the world needs more of whatever they were doing before. So activists are saying we need more activism and businesses are saying we need more growth and governments are saying we need more regulatory intervention. And everyone is kind of moving away from each other with their own policies and thinking of each other as the problem. The truth is that actually we can't solve this without activists, without cities, without investors, without business, without policymakers, all collaborating 
towards a shared outcome. And that requires humility, it requires optimism and determination and connection to realize that no one group has all the answers, right? So I totally understand the perspective from activists that corporations have lied and they want to hold them to account. I also understand the many people that I am friends with inside corporations who are doing their best to shift those corporations in what is tiresome, lonely, difficult work as they try and shift their corporations around. And no matter what they do, the activists just tell them that they're evil, right? And that's not very motivating for them either. So actually what we need to see more is an alliance. What I would love to see would be someone in a corporation phoning up an activist and saying, I need your help to come and protest my company and we can work together on delivering this outcome. And that's how it used to be. But now that we're getting to the point where the impacts are getting worse, I really worry that everyone is fragmenting into their different groups saying, the problem is over there. The problem is, yes, unevenly distributed. And there are certain individuals or countries or corporations that need to make more effort. But we're not going to solve those systemic problems without solutions that require a deep level of collaboration that we're just not used to yet. You're basically reiterating some of the same points again and again, and that is togetherness and collaboration. That is the perhaps probably the only way to get over this hurdle that we have, that we're facing as humans. And perhaps is that the reason why reaching net zero emissions here in the UAE by 2050 is doable? So the other theme which I think I'm talking about is the fact that it's not easy, just to add that in there as well. Look, we have, to, we have to believe it's doable. You know, if you look at systematic, systemic change over history, what happens is it goes first very slowly and then very fast, right? Whether that's you going bankrupt or the spread of mobile phones around the world. It takes a very long time to reach the first bit, and then by the time you get to the end, it changes systematically, transformatively. This is possible. There's nothing to say that this can't be done with the right information, organization, investment, and commitment, this is totally achievable. It's also possible that we'll just argue with each other and blame each other and say it's too difficult and feel depressed and not do it, right? That we could do that if we choose to. And it's a choice which of those two we do. But it's gonna require a collective group of people to say, this is hard, we're gonna collaborate, we don't have all the answers, but collectively we can do it. It's worth doing and it's more important than my preconceived ideas about what it's gonna look like and I'm gonna work with other people to do it. And then everything's possible in the UAE and in every other country in the world. Well, there you go, guys. It is doable, not easy. It is doable <laughs> if you get together and collaborate and work together, just have the same mindset and hopefully global warming would be a thing of the past in the upcoming generations. Now, before I wrap up, I've also read that you have written stuff for children about sustainability. And while I was covering the Sharjah Children's Reading Festival not too long ago, back in May, I actually spoke with an author who wrote a book called Earth Hour. I forgot her name, unfortunately. And it was all about teaching children how to be sustainable. And she basically said, and I asked her, how do you teach a child? They might get bullied and they might find it difficult. They're already trying to, again, their frontal lobes are not done forming. They're dealing with so many things. Can you actually integrate that into their lives? And I'd like to know through your book and just through your ideas, how can you integrate that with your children, with your family members, just as an individual, as a regular person? That's a great question. So, so just two ways of answering that. First, as a dad, you know, I have two kids who are the ages of nine and 11, and I struggled with this when they were younger. And I decided to talk to them about climate change from when they were extremely small, but to do it 
in the manner in which we've talked about, right? Which is that we can pull together and this is, they can have the opportunity to live the most meaningful life because they can have a positive impact on the future. And I did that both because I wanted them to hear it young, but also I didn't want to have a big moment of reveal when they were like 10 years old and say, oh, there's this scary thing that you don't know about. And I was sort of, I wanted to get ahead of that, which is why I did it that way. But then the book, which you kindly referenced, is called When We All Stop. And it's actually kind of about climate and kind of not. It's about that moment that some people experience when COVID first swept around the world and we had the first lockdown. And in many places, including where I live, suddenly the streets were quiet. There were no planes in the sky. There was wildlife around, there was bird life around, people were paying attention. So it was it was written at that moment and it was about the hope that that moment could remind us of the joy of connection with the natural world. And my sister illustrated it and then Ted uh, picked it up and turned it into an animation that was narrated by Jane Goodall, which is how it became sort of into the world and then it was published. And, and it was lovely, less as a sort of, I don't know that I would teach children at a young age this is what carbon emissions are and this is how climate is, you know, that, that will come. But more, this is the beautiful, intoxicating, gorgeous planet that we live on and this is how you fall in love with it and this is how you spend our time out and everything else is built on that and if we all had that baked into the core of who we are, it would actually solve many of our problems.